This is, uh, if you're pulling this up, recorded later on this week. This is Crosspoint Fellowship. Uh, the few folks that are getting on right now live. Uh, but if you're listening to it later on in the week, just so you know what you're looking at, this is the first few minutes as we wait to all get online to begin our live worship service at 11 a.m. I'm just waiting for my crew to show up here any second. So I'm going to mill about smartly and uh, listen to some music. So if you want to fast forward to when we actually begin, it'll probably be in about six minutes. So wherever you are right now, just fast forward ahead six minutes unless you want to uh, to see what uh, church here looks like in the first uh, few minutes before we worship. Talk to you in a minute. Get our people on there. We only have eight people on right now, so there's not a bunch of people checking out. Uh, 
Hey, y'all are in the right place. If you've uh, if you're listening to this um, later on this week, uh, later on today, or you're playing this back, just so you know you're in the right place. You can fast forward about three minutes if you want to uh, start where we actually begin. Uh, but right now we're just waiting for um, the rest of our little week congregation to get here. Daniel's arriving any second now, and we're waiting for 11 a.m. But uh, you're in the right place if you're here for corporate worship with well, not corporate, displaced virtual worship with Crossmont Fellowship on. Um, April the 19th, 2020. So we'll see you in a few minutes. with me and just joining my family in worship uh, up here in the foyer area. I want to start the morning with just a few announcements and then go ahead and climb into our message, but I thought uh, it'd be nice to give these announcements up front and then also at the end for those that might might, might not be uh, on just yet, uh, you'll hear the announcements at the end and if you hear the announcements at the end, you can go ahead and tune out and know that we're 
is ended, minus the benediction. So stick around for the benediction. Um, April is a month that we're praying for local businesses. That's no accident, I don't think, uh, that the Lord ordained that. It is providential that we're praying for our businesses and praying for our community at a time when our economy is really taking a tremendous hit. And so uh, as you pray for local businesses, pray for them by name, pray for some of our business owners uh, and those who run businesses within our own congregation. You can pray for those in our community that maybe you're friends with or neighbors with. Uh, you can pray for those uh, that you work with that may uh, have a side business or something like that or for a business that you work for. Uh, we can pray that God would provide for those businesses, that he would provide customers, patrons, uh, that he would uh, help folks uh, be innovative as they think about ways to present some um, ways to, to serve the community in a way that would provide for them. So uh, you can pray the Lord provide for them during this season and in the weeks and months to come as we recover from this period. Uh, I want to encourage you also, uh, just as an announcement, to invite folks to join us online. Uh, this is a wonderful time for us to uh, see what Greg is saying here. Just to make sure we're coming through live. I think that's great. So the speakers. Why, you can't hear me? No, did it day. No, I just saw that saw it on, the, on the screen. Uh, and I want to invite you, or encourage you to invite folks online. So we've got some little technical difficulties here. Sometimes folks ping me, I see a text on my computer. So I want to make sure that, I'm, I'm, that you're hearing me and there's not something weird going on. Uh, I want to encourage you to invite folks to join us online that might have never even considered joining us in person. That's what's kind of cool about this season right now. People may be so tired of uh, Tiger King. They may see all the episodes. And they're like, man, there's nothing else to watch. And um, what else am I going to do on a Sunday morning? Tired playing board games. But maybe this might be a time where they actually may consider listening to a sermon online. And uh, the Lord could use the preaching of the word through this medium where someone that you know, someone that you care about, or someone that you would like to reach out to and bless, uh, someone might, uh, the Lord might use this season to draw them to taste and see that the Lord is good the teaching and preaching as well. So I encourage you to be intentional about inviting folks to listen online. If they're not, ask them, are you listening to a, a worship service online on Sunday mornings? If not, let me invite you to join us uh, as we uh, are working through, at this point, this remote map. Uh, there's going to be a quarterly meeting for our members next Sunday night. So just be looking for details to follow and how to go about connecting to that quarterly meeting. Our elders are going to be meeting tomorrow night. Some of the things we're going to be discussing are re-entry, what does it look like? Um, this is a novel issue for all of us, so you can be praying for us that we'll have wisdom in how to go about this transition back into reentry in a way that's wise and a way that is uh, recognizing that the need that we have to be with and guide with one another. So you can pray for that meeting that we have tomorrow night. Uh, and you can also plan on, look for details on probably what will amount to a Zoom meeting. Uh, I guess we could possibly do it with a live feed but I think a Zoom meeting would probably be the, the, the best course of action. But we'll work that out this week and just be looking for information about that quarterly meeting next Sunday evening for members. Uh, lastly, there's going to be a ladies' ministry uh, virtual coffee, coffee on Monday mornings at 8.30. So uh, we'll send out a little reminder later on this afternoon uh, with a link. There's also a link in the Prep for Sunday email to that uh, little virtual coffee if you want to join in with that and that's for ladies at 8 30 on monday mornings so let's go ahead and pray and we'll um, begin our time together join us in prayer 
God, we are thankful for these few minutes that we have together. We're thankful that despite the fact that we're displaced in different homes, uh, that we are united in one uh, faith, that we share a risen Lord as, as Savior and King of our lives, Lord, that we celebrate uh, an empty tomb together, that we are innervated, animated, uh, governed by, guided by the same Spirit. Lord, we're thankful that in Christ we are one body and that this season of displacement does not damage us, it does not destroy us, it does not diminish us, but the kingdom marches forward. We are thankful that you are Lord and sovereign over this season. We're thankful that you're always at work and never idle. And we entrust these few minutes that we have to you and just ask you, we entrust these minutes to you asking you to do something awesome, to show us what the gospel looks like, to give us insight into our own movement and our own lives, in a way that would result in, in, as a people, that we would be salty and bright and aromatic. We are entrusting this time to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, give me a second to transition my locations here. I didn't tell my family I was going to do that, so we'll see if they forgive me for having them on camera here for a little bit. I'm sure they will. All right, y'all come. We're going to spend a few minutes also um, continuing in prayer, praying for people group. We pray for people group each Sunday. Um, we're going to pray for a local church. Uh, the people groups that we are praying for right now are the top 100 least reached people groups in the world. Uh, it's part of something called the, the Joshua Project. So I would invite you, you can Google the Joshua Project and you can follow along with us week to week as we pray for these people groups. This morning we're praying for the Java Banyu, Banyu Masam people of Indonesia. The Java Bani Muslim people of Indonesia, 9 million people, 2.5 of which are Christians, something like 0.08% uh, are evangelical Christians. Um, we're going to pray for them this morning. We're going to pray also for another church in our community, for Shady Grove Baptist Church, a church that's been around forever, sort of near the, the intersection of 50 going out to uh, Commerce and uh, I-30. So we're going to lift up uh, James and uh, Deanne Rawson, also the pastor and his wife. So Let's continue on with our morning prayer. Well, we're thankful for uh, the opportunity to lift up a people group this morning. We're thankful that as we bring a prayer to you about uh, a group of people that are millions strong, that this prayer from a little church in Greenville, Texas is uh, potent because of who we're asking. Well, we're thankful that we can bring a people group before you and that you will change us and move us and mobilize us, that you will draw workers to the far corners of the field. And you'll couple that with drawing people to your son. And we ask you to draw the people of the Java Banyu Masan people of Indonesia to draw this people group to you. Lord, we pray that there would be people here that are too uncomfortable with staying, that just can't help but go people that know Christ and people that want to make him known in the far corners of the field, that you would send workers to this people group in Indonesia. Lord, also we want to pray for Shady Grove Baptist Church. I pray for James and Deanne Rawson. Lord, we're thankful for the ministry that, that James and Deanne and uh, their family has had in this community and uh, Shady Grove Baptist Church since 2007. 
We're thankful for the chance to lift them up this morning and pray that you would bless James and his family. Pray that you would guide him and fuel him and move him with the gospel week by week, that he would be uh, enjoying Christ, uh, that you would guard him from um, uh, the job and the duty of this office, but it would be something that would be driven by worship and wonder and awe. Lord, I pray that would show up in the pulpit uh, if he's preaching virtually this week. And I pray that it would show up in counseling as he's encouraging others and guiding them toward Christ, Lord, that it would uh, be his very fuel. Lord, I pray that that would, would bless him in his marriage as well. Uh, just the rigors of a of, of ministry on family, Lord, we pray that you would guard he and Deanne uh, from uh, Satan, the wiles of Satan, the lies of Satan, that you would bless their marriage, bless their family, and bless the ministry of Shady Groves Baptist Church. Lord, we uh, ask you to grow them. Uh, Lord, uh, quicken them to be salty and bright and aromatic, to be potent, uh, to have a presence in their community, to be uh, a walking banner of grace and mercy, and a billboard of the gospel. Lord, we are entrusting uh, Shady Grove Baptist Church to you. Lord, lastly, we want to pray for those among us that are sick um, and healing or who are anxious, possibly, and worried in this season. Lord, I pray that you would watch over our people. Lord, I pray that you would restore our people, that you would heal our people. I pray for this community, Lord, that you would bless this community in this crazy season that you would bless us and restore us. We love you and we trust you and we're thankful. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. We are in Matthew chapter 5. So you can go ahead and turn there if you have your Bible. Matthew chapter 5. We are in the last of six examples of what I would kind of characterize as what life looks like with Christ in it and on it and through it. Uh, the last of six examples in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 43. Each of these six examples have a similar structure. Okay, They typically follow the structure of Torah. Jesus starts with, you have heard something that's said. And that typically usually comes from the first five books of the Old Testament. Um, and then next, he gives his own explanation. And then lastly, he gives a practical application. Now, in this case, he sort of combines and embeds the practical application in the explanation. But it's, it sort of follows a similar flow. So if you are uh, able, if you're willing um, and would like to stand with us for the reading of God's word, then I invite you to stand. We're going to be reading this morning from Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 43. I need to get there myself. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Lord, speak to us through these words this morning. Lord, work in us the impossible, the impossible task 
impossible call of loving our enemies. I'm praying these things in Christ's name. Amen. Y'all can be seated. All right, what I plan to do is just follow his guide. I want to start with Torah this morning, uh, uh, really verse 43 of chapter 5, and then we'll look at sort of the next verses all together uh, with his command and explanation and practical application. So starting with Torah, and I'll say Torah plus something. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, if you would, turn to Leviticus chapter 19. This is the reference for the first part of this. Um, you have heard it said portion. You shall love your neighbor. Comes from Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. The passage says, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. That's where this reference or this comment, love your neighbor, comes from. You heard it said, love your neighbor. Now, something that I think is important is connecting the parallel in this passage because it's going to, I'm going to explain this in a moment. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. What's implied there is the sons of your own people are your neighbor at least in terms of the way this passage could be translated. Your neighbor or the sons of your own people. Now, hate your enemy is the second part of what he said. He said, you've heard it said, this reference from Leviticus chapter 19, love, you shall love your neighbor. And the second part does not come from our Bibles. There are some passages that lean in that direction. In fact, there's a, a Psalm that I possibly may refer to later on in the morning where, uh, David appeals to God saying, I, I hate the assembly of the evildoers, but there are no passages that instruct hating our enemy. This might be a human tendency. It might be something that's just very natural for us. It may be something that, that they just sort of fell into by their own design. I, I'm thinking about my earliest days watching movies, watching some of the uh, some of my favorite movies growing up were Clint Eastwood movies or Charles Bronson movies. And these, you know, Westerns are bad guy movies, good guy, bad guys. It was very clear who the bad guys were in those movies and the good guys. And even from my youngest days, I remember wanting to identify early on in the movie, who's the bad guy? Who's the guy that needs to get his due and enjoying the satisfaction at the end of the movie when he gets his due. It may just be human nature for us, to want to identify the good guys, our neighbor. And again, we're going back to that passage, the sons of our brothers and sisters, our people, and then hating the, everyone else who's not our neighbor. I think we learned that early on. And apparently what was going on in the Jewish context, in this ancient context, is these folks were applying this thought in a way that would probably more be more national. The concept of hating our enemy would be applied more nationally. So for them, neighbors were fellow Jews. Remember it said the sons of your own people and enemies were everyone else. In their case, it would be enemies would be the Gentiles, anyone who was not a Jew. And to be really specific, it would be especially Rome in the Roman empire and Romans. Neighbors were fellow Jews and their enemies were Gentiles, especially Romans. Okay. Now you can imagine it might be sort of easy for them to hate these guys too, because they're subjects of the Roman empire at this point, if you remember 
the historical context. There's a, an early uh, a Hebrew group called the Essenes that actually had an oath that they had people commit to that, that was a, a commitment to hate outsiders. I mean, there was apparently a pretty developed thought about hating those who are not among us. So I thought we should just take a, just a moment and try and contextualize this a little bit for us to try and connect to this a little bit. Uh, we don't really have a Jewish Gentile conversation going on among us typically. Uh, so maybe a way for us to climb into this would be something along the lines of this. The neighbor for us would be, first of all, other believers. I mean, we could certainly consider that our own family and our own brothers and sisters in Christ that we gather with or that we work with, we could consider those our neighbors, of course. We might consider uh, those among us that live among us that are good citizens to be good neighbors, people that we might consider our neighbors. And maybe even it's a physical neighbor. Uh, our, our neighbor uh, weekly oftentimes beats us to the curb to return our trash can to where it sits beside our house after the trash has been picked up. He's just a good neighbor. It's easy to consider him our neighbor and to be neighborly, you've heard the term. The enemy, on the other hand, for us, would be people who really dislike us. Okay, just to personalize this a little bit so that we can connect to this. Just consider someone who really, really dislikes you. Maybe it's someone who wants to make life really miserable for you. Maybe it's somebody that goes out of their way to make things difficult for you. Maybe it's a people or someone who wants to ruin you and ruin your reputation. Someone who's actively involved in destroying you, it seems. And in an extreme case, it might be someone who actually wants you dead. It's hard to imagine us even considering that kind of Hatred, that kind of thought about someone else, but we've got to appreciate, we've got to know hatred for one another is not hard to come by. And we can certainly relate to this thought of people disliking us and having a strong and maybe even hatred for us and maybe even considering us their enemies. And we may even have others that we consider our enemies. Okay, so these going back to what he said, love fellow Jews. This is their context. You've heard it said, love fellow Jews hate everyone else, especially the Romans. You've heard that said, but here's what Jesus says in verse 44, going back to Matthew chapter five. But I say to you, you've heard this said over here, love all your fellow Jews, hate all the Gentiles, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. First of all, I just want to deal with verse 44 with the command. I think there's a profound command here. In the original language, there are two imperatives. And those two imperatives are the word love and pray. Those are like Jesus commanding us from the mount. For followers of Christ, you are commanded to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. If something sounds a little bit like deja vu, it should sound like deja vu, where God is speaking commands to his followers from a mountaintop. It's a very fitting parallel to Sinai and the first law that was given. And this commandment that's given to followers of Christ and as fellow followers of Christ, just consider this. This is a commandment from our God to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, connecting this to their context, 
We want to climb into their story, which we have to. We have to make sense of what it meant to them then first. Climbing into this context, I want you to remember this commandment is given to people who are subjects of Rome at that very time. Subjects of a foreign power who has invaded them and taken control of their land. So we're not talking about something that's just notional here. We're not talking about something that's just some kind of pie in the sky. We're talking about a very real circumstance. So whether it's enmity or persecution, we might whatever we might be able to conjure up that we can connect to on our own, it likely pales in comparison to the real persecution and the real enemy that they faced at this time where Jesus is preaching this from this mount. We just considered last week, I think it was last week, we were considering Barabbas. He's like voted most, most popular, most likely to succeed. Barabbas is the guy that everybody's voting for because he's leading an insurrection against a guy, against the people that everybody hates. Man, this is the guy that's easy to like because that's the common thought then, is the Jews loved one another, they hated the Gentiles, and they especially hated Rome. You could imagine what it would be like if you're just Jew, uh, Jacob, going about your business, just tending your business on, on a day, walking around Jerusalem, and a Roman conscript comes up to you and commands you to drop whatever you're doing and carry his stuff for him over the course of the day, to carry all his goods, all his gear for him. Man, that would put a bad taste in your mouth and make these guys easy to hate. It's easy to think about the fact that this commandment is given to a bunch of people and it's not a notion, the idea of persecution, the idea of real enemies. This may be the most radical thing Jesus has ever said. It is up to this point to love their enemies or to uh, to love their enemies and pray for those who persecute them. It certainly ranks at the top of the Sermon on the Mount so far as the things that would have been radical. I would expect that people on that mountaintop would have looked around at one another and gone, did you hear what he just said? Are you kidding me? You want me to love the guy that made me carry his stuff all around Jerusalem yesterday? Man, I don't think so. But that's what Jesus says. He commands them, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, these are imperatives. We've already addressed that. But they're also present tense. Both of them, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, are present tense imperatives, suggesting it's to be an ongoing, active venture. He's not encouraging them to have a passive resistance to their enemies. He's not encouraging them to just like stoics, keep it quiet, keep a cool head, just keep your head down. He's encouraging them to take an active response to their enemies. It is not a passive response to persecution, but an active venture. It is literally moving toward your enemy. It is literally moving toward the one who is making life miserable for you, who wants to ruin you. I have, um, I, I, I don't know about you, but I'm, I, I bet, I hope you're growing a little bit uncomfortable at this point. I can't see any feedback from my family at this point that they're uncomfortable. But I can, I'm uncomfortable with this notion of loving my enemies in an active sense. Now I think I could just keep my head down. I think I could just kind of keep it in the middle of the road and just kind of keep doing what I keep doing. 
Um, just stay in my lane. Those are the kind of things that I'm prone to when things are really hard. But to act, actually actively love and pray for people who are trying to destroy me, man, I'm a little bit uncomfortable with that. In case you're a little bit uncomfortable, let me make you very uncomfortable. There's a guy that I study. I have a few commentators that I read. Um, I have probably seven or eight uh, Matthew commentaries and probably uh, seven or eight uh, commentaries also just on the Sermon on the Mount. And one of the commentaries that I have is from a guy named Scott McKnight. And this guy reading his commentaries, they're just, he's just deep and he's complicated. And I, I enjoy him though, because you really have to work to make sense of what he's saying. But he presented a definition of love that ruined me this week. It ruined me and it is continuing to ruin me. And I mean ruin in a good sense. And I'm going to share this definition of love with you because I want you to incorporate this definition of love, which I would say is a biblical definition of love, which I would also say is a gospel definition of love, which I would also say is an application of the kind of love that God has shown us in Christ kind of love. So here's the definition. If you want to take notes, this would be a fitting place to, to, to write this down and really study this definition of love. If you're not want to take notes, maybe this is a good time to start because it's a really profound definition of love. Okay, here's the biblical uh, gospel love, a rugged commitment. And I would, in place of this, the only change that I would make to this definition, I would, instead of put, putting rugged in there, I put durable because it fits better with last Sunday's message. A rugged or durable commitment to be with someone. Okay, that's the first phrase. A rugged and durable commitment to be with someone. Okay, if you want to underline, underline that word with. Here's the second phrase. As someone who is for that person's good. A rugged and durable commitment to be with someone. That's the first phrase. The second phrase, as someone who is for that person's good. If you underline a word, underline for. You're with them. You're for their good. And here's the last part. And to love them actively unto God's formative purpose and to love them actively unto, that's the word to underline there, God's formative purpose. I'm going to read it for you again. For those of you that are writing it down, if you haven't written it down, I really encourage you to write it down and study this, this definition of love because it's profound. We're going to come back to it over the rest of the morning. A rugged and durable commitment to be with someone, underline with, as someone who is for that person's good, underline for, and to love them actively unto God's formative purpose. If you weren't uncomfortable before, I hope you're really uncomfortable now with that notion because we're talking about doing that for your enemy. Being with them, being for their good, and loving them actively unto God's formative purpose. This is crazy. This is truly crazy. This is like moving toward the venomous snake. Okay, I know how some of y'all are scared of snakes. I've seen some of you before. When you're out in the woods or out in the, in the field and how you handle yourself with snakes, that would be terrifying. Moving toward a venomous snake. It's like driving into a storm. And to be very specific, it'd be like driving into a tornado. You see that thing spinning and you're like, man, I'm going toward it not away from it. It's like running into a burning building. Now there's a few of us among us that are firefighters. That's a natural thing, but I mean, I bet even for them, it's not natural. 
because you don't want to run into something that's going to destroy you potentially. That's not a natural thing. It's like putting your hand on a hot stove. We know better. We've had this lifelong lesson, this negative feedback loop. When you do something that hurts, you don't do it anymore. So this thought of drawing into and toward the one or ones who want to harm you, that's crazy. That's crazy talk. Let's really, really be honest. Everything in us has been conditioned to draw away from painful things, right? We run from things that are painful and dangerous, and that would include people and circumstances. Am I right? Do we, can all of us acknowledge we do that naturally? We draw back from and away from things that hurt, including people and circumstances. It's a very natural built-in mechanism for self-protection that feedback to avoid what hurts us. And Jesus is teaching his followers to do otherwise. Man, it is truly crazy drawing into and toward what hurts us to be with someone, to be for that person's good and to actively love them unto God's formative purpose. I'm going to be really honest with you. I hope you trust it in every sermon. I'm going to be very honest with you, but I'm just going to be very vulnerable. Everything in me says, no, thank you. No, thank you. I'm looking at my family. My family's made the same stuff I am. This may be the same stuff you are. No, thank you. Painful? No, thanks. I'm out. Give, is there another option where I don't have to do what is going to be seriously painful? No, thank you. If there's a good reason, if there's an absolutely profoundly good reason, okay, then I'll consider it. Okay, that's my thought. All right, well, here's what's cool in this passage. There is a profoundly good reason. It's a profoundly good reason to do what sounds like it's absolutely crazy. In this passage, there is a purpose actually shared and an appeal for why to walk this, why we should walk this thing out, loving our enemies and praying for those who persecute you. It's in verse 45. Let's look at it together. I'll grab verse 44 just so it's with us and handy. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Do the crazy, do the, the impossible so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven, for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. That is the really good reason why we should walk this out so that we may be sons of our father who is in heaven. For he blesses the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. It's just who he is and it's just what he does. An absolutely great reason for us to walk this out is because this is what God does. He makes the sun rise and he sends rain on all people, not just the good guys. It'd make a terrible movie. You want the bad guys to get their due, the good guys to get their due. In God's case, he sends rain on everyone. He's gracious and cares for all people. He even blesses everyone in providing sun and rain. And that's not just for the good guys. He blesses undeserving folk every single day. It's who he is and it's what he does. 
So the best and the only and the greatest and the sufficient and the life-changing enemy-embracing reason to love your enemy and pray for your persecutor is precisely because in so doing, you'll do to others what God has done for you. Turn to 1 John chapter 4. I want to show you this. John would have written this, one of the disciples who would have heard this teaching on this mount um, 2,000 years ago. He would have written 1 John probably later in his life. He writes in 1 John on what love for one another looks like and what love for one, what animates, inspires, moves, fuels love for one another. And in 1 John chapter 4, he beautifully exposes exactly what we're talking about here, this so that we will be sons of our Father who's in heaven. Look at 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves God has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Let's start right there. God is the source of love and God is love. And here in verse 9. He says, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Okay, there's, he, his love is with us. He didn't just love us from afar with some sentiment. And that's what we do to one another, don't we? We tell each other, man, I love you, but I just can't be around you anymore. I love you, but I just can't see or speak to you. I don't want to even see your nasty, terrible face anymore. But oh, by the way, I love you. Baloney. That's baloney. Loving one another means I'm going to be with you. And that's precisely what God did for us in Christ. He sent his son. It says he was made manifest among us. Let's start right there. His love is with us and it is for our good. He sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Man, you want some affirmative purpose? Let's continue reading. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, to bear the wrath that we were due. He sent his son to take the punishment that we were due. Man, and here's how, where that thing lands. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Man, there's some beautiful things that come out of this passage. Verses 7 and 8 is the charge. Love one another because God is love. In verses 9 and 10, it's all there. He's with us. He's for us and for our good. And he's loving us unto a formative purpose. Indeed. And then in verse 11, there's the charge again. If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And in this case, if we were to connect to Matthew chapter 5, that would include our enemies. In Christ, God has been with us. Man, he's been with us. And his teaching, his life, his death, his resurrection were for our good. And he loved us unto death so that we could be made sons and daughters of our father in heaven. That's formative purpose. So the sole reason and the sole resource for loving our enemies and praying for those who persecute us is because it's how God has loved us. <laughs> it is how God has loved us. Christ died for us 
while we were yet sinners, enemies of God. He made his enemies friends and children. He brought us into his household, formerly enemies. He made the son of the good news of Christ rise on us. And the clouds of life-giving rain have drenched us with this unbelievable love that he's shown toward us in Christ. Man, this is how he's loved us. So the practical application, it comes right from this passage. Love your enemies actively. Don't believe the lie that it's a passive thing, that you just sort of endure one another. Love one another, even your enemies, actively. Pray for them. If you want to know how to pray, follow the definition of love that we just considered. Pray that you can continue to be with them. Pray that you can go the distance and continue to be with people that you feel like are your enemies, that you don't even want to look at, much less love. Pray that God would give you that endurance to continue incarnate with those people and pray for their good. Pray for their good. Those who are trying to destroy you, pray for their good. And pray also that God would give you a love, this active love, that would love them unto God's formative purpose for their life. Man, that's some practical application. I thought this morning that I would give you just briefly in closing, maybe something that might help you. Christy and I have been talking about this this week, talking about this passage quite a bit, and talking about this sermon. I, I don't have um, a lot of other community right now than my family, which is awesome. Uh, so I'm talking quite a bit with my family about uh, sermons and, and sermon development. So Christy and I have talked on this passage quite a bit. Intersect that with just my daily Bible reading. Uh, reading the Shane Bible reading uh, guide right now. And I was reading through Psalm 26, 27, 28, 29. I think I wrote, read beats of those on different days. But something that stuck out to me, Psalm 26 and 28. I'd like to read to you a little excerpt from each of those Psalms. I think this is going to be a tremendous help to you. If you're like me and just have a difficult thought of like maybe a profound sense of justice, a highly developed sense of justice and fairness, and what makes it so difficult, the thought of loving your enemy, I think this will be a, a help to you. Maybe you're not like me and you can just, just kind of play along. But if you're like me at all, this might be a help. Listen to these couple of excerpts from these psalms. These psalms are called imprecatory psalms. These are psalms where the psalmist is actually praying that God would do terrible things to his enemy. <laughs> all right, so listen to this first one. Just a few verses from Psalm 26. Vindicate me, O Lord. Vindicate me, for I have walked in my integrity. I've trusted in the Lord without wavering. Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and my mind, for your steadfast love is before my eyes, and I walk in your faithfulness. I do not sit with men of falsehood, nor do I consort with hypocrites. I hate the assembly of evildoers, mm. and I will not sit with the wicked. Right? I mean, any of you like, yeah, man, I like the sound of that song. I agree with that song. He picks up in, in Psalm 28. Do not drag me off with the wicked. Verse 3. Do not drag me off with the wicked, with the workers of evil, who speak peace with their neighbors while evil is in their hearts. Man, don't, don't drag me off with those bad guys. Those are the bad guys, and I'm a good guy. 
Give to them according to their work and according to the evil of their deeds. Give to them according to the work of their hands. Render them their due reward. Man, some of y'all out there might be in your heart right now. You might even say it out loud. Amen. Amen, brother. Yes, David, I'm, I'm singing along with you with those psalms. Man, my sense of justice is profound, and I'm feeling what you're saying. Man, I'm tuning in to those psalms, those imprecatory psalms. But let me share another psalm with you that this very same psalmist wrote. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what's evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you've broken rejoice. This one he says now. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. From the same psalmist. Ironically, this psalm he's writing here is, Lord, please wipe away all my wretched sins Please forget all my sins. When over there, just a few songs earlier, he's saying, Lord, man, destroy those wicked evildoers and don't let me be destroyed with them. The same guy that's over there saying, man, these guys are wicked and terrible and I'm, I'm perfect. I have not sinned and I'm above reproach over here is now the guilty. Something that I think that will help you with this notion of loving your enemy is realizing that you're likely someone else's enemy. You're likely someone else's enemy. In this case, when this psalm was written, I'm trying to imagine the psalm that Uriah the Hittite would write. As he comes to learn that David is messing around with his wife, Bathsheba, and is planning his own death, he might write Psalm 26 and 28, destroy the wicked evildoers. And in this case, David is the man. David is the evildoer. David is among the assembly of the wicked. Man, let that hit you for a moment. Something that I think that will help you with loving your enemies is when you hear and embrace the words, you are the man. Like Nathan told David, you are guilty. At the very least, even if you're no one else's enemy, you've been an enemy of God. At the very least, even on your best day, apart from Christ, you are an enemy of the living God. We have to embrace that thought that we too are enemies of God and God has made his enemies, his friends. And that's the only resource for us to then run Christward, to run Christward where we find that righteousness that we wear, that he earned, and we find the grace to walk out loving our enemies. This is how God has loved his enemies in and with the person of Christ. Man, that is the profound center of this passage. Those contrasting Psalms, I thought did a nice job of bringing it out. You gotta have a what have I done to get this? 
If you don't see yourself as a sinner in need of grace and mercy, in need of your own sins being blotted out and hidden from the living God somehow, then there's no hope of you ever loving an enemy. But once you connect to your own sins, then you found a resource that I think will bless you and help you. What might God do with this idea of loving your enemies and praying for those who persecute you? Well, I think, first of all, he might do something to you. I'm convinced that the most powerful thing that happens in prayer is not necessarily what we ask him to go do, but what he does to us as we pray. And I think he changes us as we pray. As we pray for our enemies and pray for those who persecute us, I believe that he'll teach us to rely on him. I believe he'll teach us that Christ is truly the center here. That he'll teach us that Christ is our reward. That Christ is our forgiveness. That Christ is our propitiation. That Christ is our treasure. I believe too he might acquaint you with the sufferings of Christ. And I believe too that he will refine and strengthen your faith. And on the flip side of that, there's no guarantee as you pray for your enemies and you love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that he's going to change them. There's no guarantee, but he might. He might through your prayers and through how God changes you in prayer. And it's interesting to consider that here they're being encouraged to pray for their enemies, in this case, Rome. And Rome actually became the seat of Christendom for the entire world for the couple thousand years since then. The place where persecution was dished out and doled out became, became the center of Christendom. And I wonder what happens to our enemies when we pray for them and we love them. And I bet it's profound. Let's pray right now. Lord, we are thankful that you give us the resources to do the impossible. Well, we're thankful that in Christ, that what seems absolutely crazy and unfair is actually made completely sensible and actually even beautiful. Lord, I enjoy the connection that you have brought us to that through the Sermon on the Mount, through John's reference in 1 John chapter 4, of this beautiful connection to what you have done for us in Christ. Lord, that is our resource. That is our nourishment. Those are our goods to walk up this impossible task. Lord, I pray right now that you will give us people that are really hard to love, that you'll teach us this profound truth. I pray that you will put people in our lives that give us a strain and a challenge and a struggle where we have to cry out to you, where we have to look to you, where we have to claw after the gospel and make sense of Christ and what you've done for us in Christ. Lord, I pray that we can be thankful for these circumstances that are really, really excruciating because they're wonderful tutors of what you've done for us in Christ. Lord, we're praying these things in Christ's name. Amen. Our supper uh, this morning, I want to give you just a moment to go ahead and get your supper elements prepared. Daniel's going to be grabbing ours here. And our supper passage is coming this morning from the book of Romans. Romans chapter 5.
Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 6. Listen to this passage before we take our supper together. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one dare would dare even to die. Maybe for a really good guy, somebody might even dare. But God shows his love for us in this. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Man, let's just enjoy that. That has got to be our nourishment today. While we were enemies of God, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He's with us. He's for our good. And he's loving us unto God's formative purpose in and with the person of Christ. The passage goes on to say, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. We take this supper every single week and we need this supper this morning. Because this supper this morning is cross nourishment. It's cross calories, cross nutrients to give us the goods, the fuel that we need to walk out the impossible. It's what God did for us in Christ. That's the reason and that's the fuel. So let's take and eat and enjoy our Lord in faith. Let's take and drink in faith. Let me share just a few uh, announcements with you. I don't have a benediction um, selected. Let me see if I can find a benediction. <laughs> it's occurring to me that at the end of the morning, I don't have a benediction um, chosen. There's one in Hebrews I'll see if I can find while I'm sharing the announcements. I, I used to have a, actually I do have a little catalog that I'm starting. Benediction, Second Thessalonians chapter two. How about that? A little cheater. It's okay if the pastor does some cheating just to connect to the good word. Second Thessalonians. I'm sweating because I just realized I don't have a uh, benediction. Okay, I got it now. All right, let me share with you some quick announcements. April is the month we're praying for local businesses. We started our announcements this morning with these, uh, with these same, or started the morning with these same announcements, but I'm sharing them with you again. Pray for local businesses. Pray for the Lord to sustain local businesses, to help them uh, be innovative and creative in how to bring services to bear that people can pay for and then use to provide income for these businesses. You can pray for some of our church members who are business owners who are running small businesses as well. And uh, just pray that God would sustain these businesses. Invite folks to join us online. We take and eat a good meal every single week. We take and eat a meal that we need. It's a meal that we literally need to get us through the week. I would be surprised if you don't have occasions this coming week where this sermon that was, that, that was shared this morning is not where you don't have an opportunity to bring that to bear this coming week. 
just consider that this whole uh, journey with him as he's teaching us and guiding us each week through the teaching and preaching of the word is just in time training. He prepares us for things that are coming up and things that we needed uh, to be prepared for. So invite someone to taste and see that the Lord is good as we take nourishment together. Uh, our quarterly meeting will be next Sunday night. Look for some details to follow as to when and how we're going to go about that, whether it's going to be a Zoom meeting or a live feed or something to that effect. Uh, lastly, our ladies ministry uh, is, is doing a virtual coffee tomorrow morning at 830. And we'll send out a reminder this afternoon. that We'll have a link for you to connect to that. Ladies, it's just a chance to just catch up. There's no a real um, schedule plan. There's no real details of what's going on. Um, Greg feels just texted me. Uh, yeah, I, I got one, Greg. We're good. We're good. Thank you, though. I appreciate that. Greg's good. Paying attention. Uh, okay, let's uh, let's go ahead and receive our benediction together this morning. Y'all can stand. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Amen. Y'all have a wonderful week. God bless y'all.